0: Good morning, I love, 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 love church, I love the house of God and you know being at home online the last, I think I've been at home two weeks now, I got it first so I was sick first, Um, online is amazing and I'm so grateful that we have that Um, but nothing beats being in the room. And it's great to be here. Um, I felt like I went to bed in winter and woke up (laughs) in the kind of spring. Can we call it spring yet? (laughs) It suddenly was like the roads became wider. The piles of snow were like, oh, I can drive in a wider road now. It just feels really different. Um, Maybe I hibernated. Like, it wasn't the entire winter. The winter is a long time. but. It's good to be out again. And spring is on its way. Aslan is on the move. (laughs) Trees are thawing out and waking up. And um, I always have a bit of a childlike wonder about nature, and especially in the springtime, and I think, all of this life was alive under the frozen earth while the trees looked dead. They weren't. They were just sleeping and waiting and They're ready to come back and show the life that is within them. They're never not living. Um, There's life in that frozen ground. Um, And I know John's been talking about um, the Turner Oak, which is the tree that he mentioned in introducing this topic that we've been talking about, um, about health, and he talked about this tree that went through this incredible storm. And the storm basically lifted the tree up and plunked it back down again um, in the same ground. And it aerated the roots and it made that tree almost spring back to life again because it was looking like it was dying. Um, And it was just an incredible story about, you know, what sometimes um, a shift can do that kind of ruffles things. Um, And I feel like this season is a bit like that too. It's, you know, an interesting, weird season. I think we've all felt this last couple of years has been weird, hasn't it? It's just been strange. And I was um, on a quick FaceTime call with my friend over in Sweden, just before the service, actually. Uh, good friends of John and ours um, in, in Sweden, that passed us over there, and she was just saying the same thing. Like, the world is just different now. Um, and... It's interesting how God uses sometimes those changes to bring about something incredible. And I am so convinced that there are incredible days ahead of us, incredible days ahead of us. And I'm so excited about what God has in store because his promise is for good. His promise is always that good is coming And we have the Word of God that backs that up, and that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, My um, turn today is to talk about relational health, so health from a relationship point of view, and not necessarily marriage relationship, but just relationship. Um, And, you know, John mentioned the Turner Oak tree. I'm going to talk today um, through the context of two trees in the Bible. I'm going to take us to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 2 verse 2 to 17. It's a bit of a chunk, um, but yeah, here we go. Actually, I'm going to read it in my notes because I've printed it out a bit bigger. I need glasses these days. <laughs> now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was a tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Paishon. It winds through the entire land of Hivila where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of um, of Ashur, And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now remember... Just pause here. Remember it said um, that there were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God commanded them not to eat from. So they were free to eat from the tree of life. That's just a side note. The Lord God said, "'It's not good for the man to be alone. "'I will make a helper suitable for him.'" Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of a man, and he brought her to the man. And then it goes on to talk about that being good, that God said that it was good, the relationship between them. So here we have Genesis. It's the beginning of creation and beginning of relationship. Like I said, God said it was good. It was not good that Adam be alone. Now, when God said it wasn't good he was, that he was alone... God had already established relationship between him and man. Like there was already that interaction between God and man. And there was already interaction and relationship between man and the earth and the animals. So that was already established. But it wasn't good that he was alone because he needed human to human relationship. And so God established that and then it made me think when I was looking into this message, if God established it and said it was good, why do we have so much trouble with it? Like human relationship is what, it, it ignites us, doesn't it? It, um, it keeps us going. John and I have been watching Alone. Have you watched Alone, the series? Anyone watched Alone? like a survival program where these people go out to Vancouver Island and try and survive on their own with like 10 items. It's like crazy. We love it. Most of them give up because they can't stand so long being alone with no human interaction. So we need it. We need it. God said we needed it. But we struggle with it. And it's often the thing that can break us or feel like it's broken us. And That's what I'm gonna talk about today. And the context of Genesis tells us that God has created it for our good. But something went wrong to then cause our issues with it. Enter sin and separation. Adam and Eve ate from that forbidden tree. And what was pure and holy and perfect then became sin entangled. And what what was created for our good, then we have issues with often. You see, God didn't depart from us in that moment when Adam and Eve ate from the tree, but we departed from him. And we caused division. If we carry on reading in Genesis 3 a little bit later on, verse 8 to 10. It says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. That question, where are you? Um, I, It's been going around in my mind for ages. I feel weeks ago, maybe even a month ago or so, um, I was on my way to work, and I must have listened, I can't remember now how it came across, but I must have listened to a podcast or seen a little video or something on Instagram or something, I don't know, and it was just that little piece there of... God looking for Adam and saying that word, where are you? Where are you? And it just stuck in my head. And when I got to work, you know, my routine at the moment is that when I'm um, at work and I arrive before the rest of the staff do, um, and while it's quiet and I'm by myself, I sit with my, my Bible, my blue Bible, um, and I have a bit of quiet time with God. And I'm normally working through a particular book of the Bible um, and studying a little bit more in depth and, you know, pondering on it. But that day, I felt led to go to that that scripture, the beginning of the Bible, Genesis. Those thin pages where all that's in front of it is the contents page. We all need a good contents page when we're reading the Bible, don't we? <laughs> and then, you know, Bible at a glance, I've got people of the Bible, some footnotes and some bits and pieces, and then these little thin pages, and then we have this account of God searching for Adam. That question that day set me on a thing where I now have an alarm set on my phone at nine o'clock in the morning, every morning, which is when I'm getting settled into work. And my alarm basically says, where are you today? Now, more about that later on, I'll explain what I mean by that. If we continue to read Genesis 3, if we go to tw- verse 21, it says, "'The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, "'The man has now become one of, like one of us, knowing good and evil. "'He must not be allowed to reach out his hand "'and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever.'" So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. How gracious is our God and how loving that he didn't want humankind to live forever in this perpetual state of sin he clothed them. he clothed them himself with his own hands he clothed them and he allowed them by removing them from the garden he allowed them to be a part of the story of restoration and that ark that we read all the way through the bible and as i was pondering this when i was sitting in my office at work and just thinking wow god you're so kind You wanted us to be restored. You didn't want us to live in that sin state forever. You wanted to be able to reach us. You were looking for us. You said, where are you? To Adam and Eve. You were searching. So how gracious of you that you wanted to have that relationship restored with us. That thing that you said, it's good. And then I remembered, oh, hang on a minute. In Revelation, it talks about this tree I'm going to have a look and read. And then I flicked all the way to the back of the Bible, those thin pages at the back, where all that is behind it is those maps, you know, the maps of biblical areas of geography and some Bible guide notes, those thin pages at the back. Revelation 22, which is the very last chapter of the Bible, it says... The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. There we have it. Restoration. In the last page of the Bible. And as I sat there I just thought, the very beginning of the Bible, those thin pages, is the tree. And the very last page of the Bible, the thin pages, is the tree. Both perfect. (laughs) Both amazing, incredible relationship. And then I looked at everything in the middle. These thick pages, the entirety of the Bible, except for those thin pages at the beginning and the end. And I looked at it, and I got so sad. And I thought, God, there's so much pain between those trees. There is so much pain. There's so much anguish. There's so much loss. Those thick pages of the Bible, all of it. There is so much disaster. Relationship broken. Difficulty. Shame, guilt, all of it, Lord, it's all there. And I got so sad, and even now, (laughs) I feel that sadness. But then, there was a song playing in the background that I'd put on as I sat down. And it was as if God was saying to me, I've got grace enough for that. I've got grace enough for Between the Trees. And it was as if God said to my heart, grace upon grace upon grace. All the tears, all the pain, all the anguish, I have grace enough. And I thought, wow, what grace does God have? So much grace he has that the whole of that, we're in these pages between the trees. All of it, God has grace enough. And what the enemy sought to separate, what he sought to destroy. There's grace enough. Grace means unmerited favor. It means the love of God. It means restoration when we didn't deserve it. Even in our worst possible moments, even in those times when we thought, there's no way through this. I can't see a way. There's grace. Grace enough. Jesus, you see, there was another tree, the tree that Jesus died on. And that tree spans between both of those other trees. You see, those pages in the middle are interwoven with the death and the resurrection of Jesus, which allows us to have this unmerited, undeserved favor, this restored relationship with our Father, and in turn, with each other. The truth of Jesus is, we hid, but God came looking, and he restored, he didn't leave us lost. You know, talking about relational health, (laughs) where do we often go? First page we go to, or first place we go to? Psychology Today, they know all about relational health. And I admit, I did read a few articles, I like a good psychology magazine here and there, you know, but (laughs) these pages have the truth. And my takeaway has been that relational health is about restoration to created order, walking with God and each other in the garden again, not hiding between the trees, death to life, God comes looking. He doesn't want us hiding. He wants restoration of relationship. He wants to be present with us. He wants us to be present with Him and with each other, which is how we're able to encounter His love. You see, this is one area of health, and maybe the only one, that can't be outworked alone. You can't have relational health by yourself. Doesn't exist. It's impossible. Relational health is all about relationships between people. And so when we're looking at this in a church environment, where do we look? Well, we have to look at the early church because God gave us the church as a gift. This, who we are here right now, all of us together, whether we're here sitting in the room or online, we are the church. God's given us the ability to call us, call ourselves the church, as a gift we're his body. So when we look at the early church, it gives us a, an idea a reflection of what relational health looked like when God first instituted this church. And if we turn to Acts 2 and verse 42, and, you know, I read this all the time, and I know John uses this passage a lot when looking at the vision of church and, and where we're heading It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That word fellowship, it's a wonderful word. That means being together. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord God added to their number daily those who were being saved. That sounds like lots of life, doesn't it? Sounds like lots of food as well. (laughs) I like that. It sounds nourishing. It sounds probably messy, people bumping into each other. It sounds like, you know, if you're with each other that much you know when you're in isolation with your family you bump into each other a lot when you're living in quite a small house you can't always separate easily but that's what life is you know we bump into each other it's it's messy as well as good it's being together it's being present together but they, this picture of what is in the early church In Acts, that didn't happen by accident, you know, that was nurtured and it was cultivated. It was the years and years of Jesus teaching the disciples how to live and how to be together. The disciples as a group were dysfunctional separately, but God brought them together and he taught them. And iron sharpens iron, it says in the Bible as well. You know, those rough bits that get rubbed off a little bit when we're together, knocking heads. Um, I was a teacher before um, I worked for the church in England and before the job that I do now here. Um, And when I was teaching, my specialism was with early childhood education. And um, in England, the children start school a lot younger. Um, When they're four, they're in full-time school. Um, And when they're three, they can go to half-day, well, nursery, we call it, but the same as kindergarten. And um, so my area of specialism was the three to five-year-olds. And I love that age group. Children are fascinating and so interesting at that age. And, you know, I loved learning about child development and how babies, when they're first born, how they develop and learn and grow and become these interesting toddlers. And then, obviously, us as adults. But we're born totally selfish, aren't we? Like a baby that's born it it is consumed by what it needs, and it will scream rather loudly to tell you that it needs it like and often it's oh, I don't know what this thing needs it's like I remember when our first baby was born, taya, she screamed the entire way home from the hospital, and we got home and we were like, we've got the wrong baby <laughs> and then I realized I'd wrapped her in a brand new blanket that was. Cotton and it was crinkly and hard, like she was uncomfortable. She'd been in this lovely warm environment in the womb and then in a nice, you know, hospital blankets or whatever. And I'd gone and wrapped her in this crinkly hard blanket. Of course, she was going to (laughs) scream, but they communicate their need loudly. Then in time, you know, we develop a little bit and learn that our world is full of other people, but in that kind of, I guess, season of development, you're not really aware of your impact on other people, you just know that there are other people there, and then you learn cause and effect. I hit you over the head with this toy, that's gonna have an effect, you're gonna do something. You're either gonna hit me back, or you're gonna scream and run away, something's gonna happen, and that's how we learn, isn't it? We learn by having that in impact on other people, that interaction with other people. And then, when we become part of a group environment, then we learn to play alongside other children. And, you know, I've got my toys here and you've got your toys there, and don't you dare take my toys because they're mine. And I won't take yours unless it looks really inviting, then I might just grab it and run away. But we do that, don't we? We learn to play alongside. I'll tolerate your presence. And then, in time and with, you know, good guidance from adults around us, and learning that cause and effect, then we learn the collaborative play. People teaching us to interact and play together and to share, and that is different. The word share for children means different things in different situations. Some situations it means I'm gonna give you something and then I'm gonna have a turn of that same thing, like a toy. In other situations it's, well, if I share my food, I'm not gonna get it back. So that's a different whole thing. It takes a lot to learn concepts like that. But we do, because we're able to learn and grow. And we learn about love and vulnerability and sharing and friendship and love. And when you think of those different stages of development and interaction with other people, then we have to look at where are we on that? Do we have the maturity to understand that vulnerability is important and that we're giving and taking and we're interacting in that way with people or are we in that position as a church community where we just are playing alongside and kind of tolerating each other's presence or are we completely selfish and screaming about our needs <laughs> there's lots of different stages there the early church did life together they were in each other's lives during the week as well as Sundays. they didn't just stay in their little bubbles they interacted, they were together. This, you, us, together, this is God's gift. Like Darcy said earlier on when he was talking in between one of the songs, and he said, you know, we are, and John said it as well when he was on the stage, we're that little echo, that little taster of heaven for people. You see, these big thick pages between the trees... It's full of now. It's full of us. It's full of what we do here right now. And it's not meant to be a sanitized, pretend version of perfection. of Oh, we'll get there one day. all oh, we'll be restored in heaven when we get there. And we just have to deal with all the pain beforehand. No. You see, God is in those pages between the trees. God is in our interactions with each other. God is in everything that we do. And we're all needed. 1 Corinthians 12 says there is one body, but it has many parts. All its many parts make up one body. It's the same with Christ. We're all baptized by one Holy Spirit, and so we're formed into one body. It doesn't matter whether we're Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free people. We're all given the same spirit to drink. Everybody, so the body is not made up of just one part. It has many parts. So how do we keep showing up when people hurt us or when we hurt other people? How, when all we want to do is hide in those trees like Adam and Eve did? I ask the same as God asked. Where are you? Where are you? Are you willing to walk with God in the cool of the day with each other? I've got a couple of little keys that I'm just going to go through that help in this, I guess, in this topic, in this, you know, moment of thinking of this, pondering on this, some things that are helpful, have been helpful to me as I've been preparing this, and I believe helpful for us as a church, and the first one is to breathe. Oxygen's good. God put Adam and Eve in a garden full of vegetation. (laughs) But you know what else breathing does? Allows us just to pause and think and allow space. It also allows us to choose to live, to really live and not just be on survival mode. Breathing actually allows us to choose to live. The second one, the second tip is show up, don't hide away. Our presence is our gift. Now back to my daily alarm. I set my alarm on my phone saying, where are you today for that very reason? Because it allows me to respond to God. God, I'm here. God, I'm here. I'm not hiding today. God, I'm going to show up. I'm going to go and speak to that person even though I want to hide away. Even though I'm scared. I don't like conflict. Even though I don't like to put myself in positions where I might feel awkward. God, I'm going to show up. My presence is my gift today. See, God's not hiding from us. It's us that hide from him. God's here. He's omnipresent and he's looking for us. He's asking us daily, where are you? Where are you? He wants relationship with us and he wants us to have relationship with each other. Being present is our gift. The third one is to forgive. Even when things are tough, because God asks us to Matthew 6, 15 says, Forgive other people when they sin against you. If you do, your father who is in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive the sins of other people, your father will not forgive your sins. Do you know what unforgiveness does? It separates and it puts a block in the way between relationship, between people, and then between us and God. It creates bitterness. And that's not conducive to life. A relationship at all. I've heard it said, and I'm sure many of us have heard the same saying, that unforgiveness is like us drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. But what does it do? It just wreaks havoc in our own lives and doesn't allow us to move forward. It makes us stuck. The third tip is praise God my goodness, if this isn't something I've learned this last couple of years, I don't know what else I've learned. (laughs) Praising God is what keeps us steady. It keeps us with our eyes on him who is the anchor of our souls, who is perfection, who is good no matter what. When everything's going crazy and it's up and down, he is steady. He's secure. He totally is. It sets our perspective right, and it's the one thing that we can count on. And when we worship him, it's not about us. It's not about how we feel in the moment. It's not really, it's not. It's about recognizing, God, you are amazing. Eyes off ourselves and eyes fully onto him. And then how much more healthy our relationships with each other when we've got that right. The next tip is love. Love each other. Being Christ-like, not judging each other. And if there's anything that's going on at the moment in the world, that's judgment of each other, isn't it? My goodness. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 13, again, another scripture that many of us have heard a lot says i speak if i speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love i am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal we need love because that's who god is he is love and his love is what enables us to love each other in the way that he has intended for us to and then the last one is repeat all of that again every day, many times a day (laughs) I'll go through this again breathe show up forgive, praise God and love God is with you God is for you he loves you and wants to be with you let's close our eyes and let's pray and thank God for who he is Lord I thank you that you did give us such incredible gift of life and love I thank you that you created something that was perfect and that was your intention and it still is and I thank you Lord that even though life can be hard relationships can be hard I thank you that you've still called them good, because when you enter in and when you're part of us, Lord, your restoration, your grace, your love flows through, and it restores everything. And I pray, Lord, for those people who this topic has pain etched right through it, Lord. I pray that you would restore them, that you would heal them, whatever pain they have attached to relationships, Lord. You're the God of grace. You have grace enough for it all. Lord, I thank you that you're such a good, gracious, loving God, that you're looking for us all the time. and We open ourselves up to you and say, here we are. We're coming out from behind the trees and we want to walk with you and each other in the cool of the day. In Jesus' name, amen.